As a mom, you wear a lot of hats, and sometimes it seems like you're going in a million directions at once. At the 29-Minute Mom, we want to give you the tools to bring it all under control and reach your highest potential. If you give us a few minutes, we'll help you find those extra hours you need every week to achieve balance and satisfaction in everything you're trying to get done. The 29-Minute Mom. It's time just for you. And now, here's your host, life's organization expert, author and coach, Jennifer Ford-Berry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the 29-Minute Mom, and today we actually have a guest that was on our show just a few short weeks ago, um, coming back because we could not stop talking. There was too much to cover, and I love when that happens, but because we are the 29-Minute Mom, we don't want to go too long, so we decided to bring Marielle Melling back to the show. Welcome back again. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm excited to be back. There was so much to say last time that it was just kind of like one of those decisions where after the show, just so the listeners know, it's kind of like, we didn't get to this, we didn't get to that, so let's do another episode. And I mean, that, that um, I'm just looking it up because I'm trying to remember what episode number it was. That was a great, great show for anybody who hasn't already listened to it. Um, but if you haven't, I'll get that episode number in a minute. Marielle is the um, mother of five children, ages two to 13. She has a website called Living Life with Littles. Did I say that correctly? Loving, loving Love life with Littles. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, and your kids um, are all different ages, which we'll get into the gist of that in a minute. And your website, you entitled, you're the author of Peace, Peace Admits the Mayhem. So yeah. everybody that has little kids um, under teenage years, look her up because she has a great amount of information on there that can inspire you and help you um, kind of just realize that you're not the only one going through these things. I'm sure that's how a lot of, you know, of your, your audience feels like that sometimes, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. It's so nice to kind of have a buddy along the way. Yeah. Yeah. So um I want to talk, okay, so it's episode 72. That was peaceful parenting. That was such a good um, episode about just kind of taking it all in, living in the moment, not getting super stressed out, not trying to be perfect. Um, so if you're feeling, you know, as a mom right now, listening to show that you're kind of in that, that feeling of just like, oh, I wish I could do this better, or I wish there was a different way. That's the episode to listen to, 72. Check it out. So, all right, so today... This is going to be awesome. We're talking about how to raise compassionate kids. <laughs> it's really funny that we're talking about this because my um, girlfriends and I were talking the other day during our Bible study. We're doing a, a study about motherhood. And we said, you know, we all have different kids, um, different aged kids. And my kids, as I've mentioned before, are 19 and almost 16. Um and then some of the moms have little kids like you. But the crazy thing is, is that we all agreed like the number one thing, if we could get it right, we want kind children. Absolutely. Yeah. So go ahead. Let's jump in. What is, you know, let's give these moms listening today some real, actual, real life advice that they can start to implement in their home starting today. Yes. 
Awesome. So I love talking about this conversation in context of um, the world outside of us, because so often what our kids are seeing depicted in stories and movies and different things and um, kind of a, I think there's been a cultural shift over the years in a way that we kind of have a conceited society in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. And so if, if we just leave it to the world, um, it's not as likely that our children will pick up these important characteristics, the kindness and compassion and charity and those things that we really want for them. And as you mentioned, like if I, I, I'm the same way, if I could have one thing, I think that's what I would, would choose because it is so amazing, obviously for the people that they're around, but also then for their relationships and for our children's own health and happiness, right? Studies have shown that compassion actually like helps our own health. Like we live longer when we are kind and have, have good relationships. So this is a super important thing for our kids and something that we can be really intentional about within our homes. So let's so, just stop there for one second because I find sure. that, um, fact really interesting. I can guess why that helps people become healthier and live longer lives, but what is your take on that? Why compassion does drive that? Yes, it's really interesting. There's, I think a lot goes into it. A couple of things are that it actually triggers parts of our brain and chemicals that relieve stress and that promote feelings of well-being. And stress is a, a killer, honestly. It, it um, is super bad for our health. So like service and compassion and kindness are a stress reliever. And it also chemically um, decreases inflammation within our bodies. And it also provides us with a stronger coping mechanisms. And so when we have strong relationships, we have um, socially a better kind of a backbone to go to when we have problems and issues and things like that. So there's a lot that goes into it, but those are a few of the things. I thought for sure, you know, you had mentioned the stress factor because say you treat somebody poorly, it, even if you don't, you never admit that, you never admit that you treated that person poorly. I feel like 90% of humans in their soul feel wrong about it. They know there's like this inner voice, you yes. know, call it the Holy Spirit, call it whatever you want, but it's telling us that, you know, we should have done better. We should have been nicer. And so you probably will never hear many people admit that, but when you're sitting in your, your, um, kind of shame or your regret, it does cause so much stress and kids know that like kids, I feel like are born with the right heart and yes. maybe the world over time hardens that heart, but children usually know, Hmm, I wasn't very nice to the other kid or I wasn't very nice to that person. And it kind of weighs on them. And maybe they don't, when they're really little, maybe they don't even know that it's weighing on them, but it is regardless. Do you agree with that? Yeah. And it's really interesting. There's studies that show that even newborns have an emotional reaction to other people's emotions through mirror neurons and other things, rats, chimpanzees, like it's, it is a, um, it's built into us to have an emotional connection mm -hmm. with others. And when we, um, destroy that connection or ignore that connection, do things that hurt that connection. It's detrimental in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really interesting. Okay. So continue on. Yeah. So I generally think it's really helpful as parents for us to kind of break things down to more actionable 
ideas and steps. And so I like to look at kind of a three um, benchmark or three keys to raising compassionate children. And the first one is to help our children see outside of themselves, really to open their eyes. And this is just in everyday life. We can read stories, we can Um, go to museums. We can look at people as we are driving by. I know we live in an area, we have a lot of homeless people. So when we go for a walk down by the river, there's tents, and then we can talk after, what do you think it would be like to live in a tent by the river? Mm -hmm. Right. And at this point, we are just helping our children see and understand that people live different lives than us. Right. And the world's not all about them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And whether it's a different, we're talking about a different time frame or a different value structure or a different religion, letting them see and recognize those differences and that there are lots of ways to be happy and that there are lots of ways to live and that the way you are doing things is not the only way. And that's kind of the first is just to open their eyes to that experience. Mm-hmm. The second thing is to Uh, help our children feel, right? To help them feel for others. So kind of open their hearts. And this is where we're talking about emotional intelligence. And there's really a progression within that as well. So really simply, we want to start with helping our children being able to name their own emotions Mm -hmm. and then being able to name those emotions in others. So looking at a picture and saying, oh, look at this person's face. What do you think they're feeling right now? Or helping them see, you feel so excited, don't you right now? Or you are feeling sad and just helping them bring names to those emotions and recognize what they are. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the first step. The next progression is to recognize cause and effect for ourselves. So to see, okay, I have this emotion and where did that emotion, why are you feeling that way? and to help them start to make those connections and then to help them, the next progression is to help them make those connections for other people. So, oh, your friend is crying. Why do you think your friend's crying? Is it because you took their toy Mm -hmm. and help them see that the actions that we make and that are going on around are helping cause those emotions. And then the next progression is to actually feel those emotions for other people. So you see your friend is sad. How does that make you feel? Mm -hmm. And really bringing in that that progression of um, emotional understanding. Some children are, are very intuitive with this. Like it comes very naturally. They understand social cues. They feel strongly for other people and other children are not so much. That's not one of their strengths. And so depending on our children, they are going to need different um, amounts of coaching in Mm -hmm. this emotional intelligence area. So I'd like for you to give an example, a real life example, because sometimes if you've been studying this or you've researched it, it comes easy. But for a mom that's kind of tuning in to this for the first time and thinking, how can I work on this with my kids? What are some real life, actual like scenarios or verbiage we can use with say, first of all, a child that is from, you know, like in the toddler years. Yeah. So toddler years is very, very much focused on understanding that first level, like what emotion are you feeling and what emotion are other people feeling? And so um, just like a simple example, when like a toddler is throwing a tantrum or after the fact, this would, this is, these are more after the fact discussions a lot of times um, because in the midst of a tantrum, we're very 
the emotion is super high and we're not really connecting with our thinking brain. So, but after the tantrum or after it's calmed down and we soothe, and then we can say, for example, this is just two days ago with my toddler. Are you, what are you feeling right now? And he doesn't have the words for that. He's two and a half, right? So I say, are you feeling sad? And he's like, yeah, sad. Yeah, I'm sad, right? And just helping them find that word. And then the next step is, why are you feeling sad? And then he can talk about how he got in trouble, right? He yeah. was in, in trouble for ruining some stuff. And so that's like the very beginning for those toddler years. When they get into kind of the preschool age, then we can go into, um, you know, more recognizing other people's emotion too. And I think books are a great way to do this and looking at, look at this character. And even, even toddlers can understand this part too, is look at this character and what is that person? What are they feeling right there? And they can say happy or sad. And then your toddlers are going to get more. I mean, your preschoolers are going to get more, um, you know, a higher variety of emotion that they understand, but then they can take it at that point, a preschooler, you could say, how would you feel if that was you? So we're taking it to that next step. Um, or, you know, is that, do you want to feel that way? Or what could help them not feel that way? Or what could help them feel happy? So you can have those kinds of conversations. Mm -hmm. Is there any books out there that you would really recommend? Is there, you know, one in particular or a series for that age group? I, I don't have any in particular that I recommend because it is honestly in every story. Okay. And so you can take, I mean, beyond like the shapes ones that you're reading with your younger kids, but any story that has characters has these concepts in them. Okay. Now, what about, let's go to like middle school. That age. Yes. Yes. Because so, you know, that's when emotions get high. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Emotions get, um, they, they get big, right? The brain is developing and emotions are the emotional part of the brain is developing before and bigger than the logical part of the brain. Mm -hmm. And so with this age, it's really helpful to let them actually understand that, to talk with them and say, Hey, your, your emotional part of your brain is, is on fire right now. Isn't it great? You can feel so excited about things and you can feel so happy about things. And it also is letting you feel really upset about things. And do you recognize that? And sometimes it's super helpful for our kids to recognize that that is normal because sometimes the big emotion shift can be uh, tricky for them too, right? Like right, what's right. going on, <laughs> you know, but then helping them connect, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> helping them connect <clears throat> with um, the logical part of their brain so that they are making choices then that are compassionate is what our middle schoolers and our older kids can really be working on. And so letting them say, yes, how do you feel right now? And letting them express that, letting them feel that. And then saying, and then what can we do about that? Or how is your friend feeling right now? And what can we do about that? A lot of times um, where it gets difficult, right, is, is in friend drama or in you know, when what I want is not necessarily the compassionate thing, like maybe it's a selfish thing that I want. And then it's really getting to that place of uh, making a conscious choice and talking through that choice with, with our kids. Mm -hmm. So, and that leads into kind of the third um, benchmark with, with compassion is after we feel these different emotions and we recognize, you know, how does how do emotions play between different people and situations and things is then 
actually being compassion is wanting to do something to relieve that suffering, right? Is wanting to act in a way that does something about it. It's all great if we feel it, but it doesn't really do any good. Right. So right. getting our kids to actually act. And when we do that with them, when they experience that path, that's when they start to make those choices on their own. Yes. And then that's when you have a compassionate child. Yeah. <laughs> One yeah. that actually acts on it. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about actually um, different ideas of how kids can take steps, like actionable steps where they can show their compassion for somebody else? Yes. And again, so at different age levels. Yeah. So as a parent, I would say it's really important to, to recognize um, a couple key things. It's super important that we're modeling this behavior, yeah. right? That when our children have emotional trouble, we are modeling empathy. We are modeling compassion. We are modeling that behavior. And then it's also important that we talk about it. And so we find ways, whether it's reading a scripture story or talking about our own volunteerism and why we choose to volunteer and things like that. There's an interesting study that showed um, it was looking at adolescents between the ages of 12 and 18 and whether or not they chose to volunteer. Mm -hmm. And the ones whose parents modeled volunteering were 27% more likely to volunteer. The ones whose parents modeled and talked about volunteering were 47% more likely to volunteer. Wow. So we do hear a lot like actions speak louder than words, but at least in this case, action and words speak the loudest, right? So we want to do that. And then um, we also want to play to our children's strengths. And this is for any age group, but when you are trying to get, trying to get our kids on board with service and doing these compassionate things, what are their strengths and play to those? So as I mentioned, some kids are really sensitive and aware of feelings. And for those kinds of kids, we can say things like, how is this person feeling right now? What could we do? They're really lonely, right? They, what can we do to help them not feel lonely? Mm -hmm. um, for kids who their strength is to be like a go-getter, to be high achieving, then we can say things like, um, how fast do you think we could get this service project done, right? Or um, what ideas do you have that could help solve this problem? Mm -hmm. So framing it in, in the sense of their strength. Another thing is to think about their individual talents and let your kids help with this, right? The studies show the more connected we are with the service, the more we get out of it and the more freely we do it. So um, you can connect with both their interests and their talents. So, you know, if one of your kids is very musically talented, how can you use that to serve other people? Maybe you're going to do a virtual concert at the nursing home, right? If they are artistically talented, maybe they're going to show younger children how to draw. If they are um, a sports fanatic, maybe they're going to babysit younger kids and do some sports with them while they do that. So finding ways to play to their talents and their strengths. And then also finding as a family ways to serve that are connected. So for example, um, one of my good friends, her mom passed away from cancer. So as a family, every year they um, support cancer foundations, right? They'll get together with all the grandkids and make hats for cancer patients and things like that. So starting very young, we can start to recognize the strengths that our children have and then pull those in to the service that we try to do as a family. Mm -hmm. And it's really helpful to plan 
um, things that become tradition that are just normal because we all know the more we do things, the easier it gets, right? Mm -hmm. So whether you have a relationship with a nursing home that you go into once a month, or if you know as a family, um, every Saturday we try to do something service-wise or every Christmas season or things that become traditional for your family is a great way to do that. And then to also just be aware and when you have your eyes peaked, um, there, there are opportunities all around us to serve as a family. And so, um, for example, something that we have done quite often is just put together homeless kids and then go pass them out, right? So something that you can say, hey, in one afternoon, it doesn't have to be this huge thing, but we can find little opportunities to serve with our kids um, as a family. And I find that when they do something nice for somebody else, they, especially when they're little, they get just excited. Yes. You know, they love it. I remember one time we went to church and the pastor said to just go out on the streets and do something good for, in our community. And, um, I think, you know, my kids were like nine and, um, six at the time and we were with my friend's kids and we decided to take donuts to the local fire department. They got back in the car after they walked in and gave those firemen donuts, like bouncing off the seats in the car. They were so, so <laughs> excited. And it was because they knew in their spirit that they had done something really nice for somebody else. Yeah. Um, and that's- We connect with that. Yes. And, and that kind of makes me think of like right now, it, sometimes it's hard to find places that will let you in for service right now with covid or, mm -hmm. you know, big groups, but that's something little, you can pick up donuts and coffee and drop them off at your local fire department or your local police department and just say, thank you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, or God loves you on the card or something, whatever the kids decide. And just, that's another good way for little kids not to be afraid of those types of service workers too, because when they're little, you know, God forbid you had a fire or needed a police officer, you wouldn't want them to be afraid. Yeah. Um, making those connections. Yeah. So you can, you can, there's all kinds of ideas. I actually, maybe I can um, link it or give you the link, but I have, um, it's just a mini guide called raising compassionate children yeah. in well, the and it includes 101 service ideas for families. I love and that. Everything from like, you know, go help your neighbor with their yard, right. Mm -hmm. Or put their garbage in for them or invite somebody new to sit with you at lunch or um, make a card for a nursing home. There's different charities that you can um, connect with soldiers that are overseas with either cards or making scarves or different things. So um, there's a lot of ideas. We'll definitely share that with the audience. That's a great idea. Sometimes yeah, and too, I find that you once you hear somebody else's ideas, it kind of gets your own creative ideas flowing. So I think that would be great to share. Yeah. Um, one last thing I want to talk to you about is say, you know, your kids are a little bit older, say in their teen years. And it seems like a lot of times right now, especially again with COVID, these, these teenagers are just sucked to their phone and they're not maybe as, you know, not face-to-face -face as much with their peers. Is there a way with the circumstances going on in the world that we can get these teens to stop and kind of think, you know, think outside the box on how to be compassionate to other kids. I know I've noticed on TV lately, there's a lot of commercials about how to deal with awkward silence and they actually are giving people the words to say, hey, what's going on? You haven't been yourself lately. I think there's a real problem out there with kids 
um, feeling depressed and anxious and isolated. So do you have any words of advice that maybe parents listening with older kids that have telephones, what they can actually do to show compassion? Yeah, that is a great question. I would say first and foremost, be really open with your teen and, and talk about it. And again, pull their strengths in. So even you could even say, is there somebody that you could reach out to that maybe would be lonely? Like the first step, don't try and get them off the phone immediately. Right. But employ that for good and say, is there somebody that you could, you know, reach out to or text or include in your circle that might be lonely right now and invite them to do that. And then I think a, a great way and something that we um, need to remember is that it's very appropriate and it's very, you know, developmentally normal <laughs> for <laughs> teens to shift towards peers and away from families and parents, right? During that age. But that being said, we still have an immense responsibility and opportunity. And when we set family guidelines and then are consistent with those, that goes a long ways in helping our kids. And so we can create times that are no phone zones. Mm -hmm. And I, I highly recommend everybody does that as a family, because when you do that and mom and dad put their phones away, everybody puts their phone away. Maybe it's dinner time. Maybe it's you know, an hour before bed, whatever it is for your family, then you are going to be practicing interacting and, you know, doing, and that is something that are, a lot of our kids are missing out on, right. That yeah. they are really great texters, but they don't have that face-to-face -face communication skill mm -hmm. as much, um, because they haven't had to develop it. And so creating those boundaries as a family, and you can do that, right? That is that is within your prerogative as a parent to say no, no phone zone, and and be um, upfront with the kids about it, about why it's important to you. And most times, kids kids are pretty smart, right? And we have our rebels, and even our rebels are good kids, and they want to be good, and they want to do good things. And especially if we've been trying to give them these opportunities where they are experiencing compassion, they're going to understand that that's a good thing. And so when we say no phone zones and then interact during that time or do a little family service or ask them to solve the problem, because sometimes they don't like us to tell them what to do. Right. But if we say, Hey, we would like to do something to help this cause. What do you think we should do? Or what cause would you like to help? Mm -hmm. and let them um, problem solve, then they're going to be more on board with it. Yeah. And it's kind of like kids, they don't always want to agree with this idea. So right. it doesn't matter. And there's been, we have a group of friends with a bunch of teenagers in it. And when we pass the basket around, when we're all together and they have each other to talk to face to face and they don't need to be on their phone. We pass the basket around. We're like phones in the basket. They grumble, but guess what? within 15 minutes, they're having fun. They do it. Yes. They don't know any other way if we don't. Yes. Do that. yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it, sometimes it is hard. I will, I will admit it is hard, right? It is hard. We are already busy. It's hard to make these experiences a priority. It's hard to um, hold strong when that's not what our children want to do, right? It's hard, but the more consistent we are, in presenting these opportunities and in creating a family culture around compassion and service, it will get through and the easier it does become. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. These are 
this is really good information. And I feel like it just kind of gives us all a little jumpstart on, you know, actual simple things we can implement, like I said at the beginning of the show, into our life starting today, starting, you know, this week. And if you don't have to get it all perfect when you're trying to make a change in your household, but do something in the right direction. Yeah. Um, so I think these are great. We're definitely going to link um, your list of resources on just ideas of what you can do to serve as a family. And I also want to say that I'm a big fan of praising when the kids are doing it right. So when you do see your Absolutely. child already at compassionate, praise, praise, praise. Yes. Um, you know, and, it, and when you see that in other people, because they, they are lifted up by that too. So you see once in a while, the news stories that go around about the, the, you know, whatever it was, but the nice police officer or the kind kid in the Starbucks line or whatever yeah. it was and share those stories with your kids, because it really is an upper, like all these things are just uppers for all of us all around. Yeah. And we need more uppers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Marielle. You're always full of great wisdom and insight. So I really appreciate it. And if you're listening to the show today and you want to find out more about Marielle, we'll have all of her links in the show notes, including that resource guide. And we look forward to your comments and reviews about this episode. So uh, God bless everybody listening. And thanks again, Marielle. And we'll hopefully probably have you on again sometime. With more good. wonderful information. <laughs> so take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.